0: Day it is because this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. One of the things I loved about the drive over to Red Lane today is it reminded me of going back home. And if you've been away from home for a long time, you can get ready to feel the excitement and all the memories of the great things that have happened back at home. And when I look at the Powhatan community, it reminds me a lot of the community that I grew up in, in Danville, Virginia, city proper, but specifically a place called Dry Fork, Virginia, right next to Wet Spoon. (laughs) There's no Wet Spoon, but there is a Dry Fork. But I went to a high school that reflected a lot of what Powhatan High School looks like. when I spoke with Pastor James, he was telling me about some of the culture at Powhatan High School. And he said, you know, this community is unique to the point that they have created a space in the parking lot specifically for big trucks. (laughs) Now, how many how many in here drive the big trucks? Got some hands going up. That reminds me of home, big trucks country music and a lot of great conversations and experiences so that drive over to Powhatan today was one that was very very refreshing and exciting and then when I walked into the door today or before I even got to the door my wife and I were greeted by several amazing families in the congregation that really made us feel like we are home so I just want to say thank you for your warm hospitality is something that flows from your leadership team down, and I'm not sure if you influence them to be that way or they influence you to be that way, but I'll let you figure that out. (laughs) This morning, one of the things that God has really placed on my heart is to challenge us before we jump into God's word. On a consistent basis, we're showing up on Sunday morning to do church. We go through the week, Monday through Saturday, And when we go to sleep, we say, you know what? It's time for church tomorrow. We come through the doors, we greet the same faces, and we listen to a word from the Lord. And a lot of times it's easy just to go through the mundane routine of life. Today, this morning, I want to challenge you to set aside what may be preventing you from hearing God's word and to receive it in such a way that when it penetrates your ears and goes down to your heart, it impacts the way you live your life today. It impacts the way you live your life tomorrow. It impacts the way you live your life on Tuesday. Because how many of us can be honest and say, about 30 minutes after we walked out of the church doors, what the pastor said begins to And about 2 o'clock after you've had that lunch and that, Early that early nap, you may completely forget what the pastor talked about on Sunday. It reminds me of my grandmother. My grandmother would always tell me after she visited, after she came home from church, that this was such a great message. The pastor he really preached and he taught the word of God. And I'm getting excited because she's showing great passion and she's showing great excitement and great energy. And I would say, grandmother. What did he talk about? She would look at me and she would say, Lord, I really can't tell you. (laughs) I said, so grandma, for the last five minutes, you've been on this exciting trip about how it was so great and how it blessed your soul and how impactful it was and how he teaches the word of God. And I asked you the question of what did he say? And he said, child, I really can't remember. But it was good to her soul. I don't want us to just say that the word of God is good to our soul, I want us to be able to receive the word of God and be able to apply it to our everyday lives because as believers we're not only set apart for Sunday gatherings, we are the church, not the four walls and it is our calling and our purpose to go, to go into all the world to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to disciple others of all nations And the beautiful thing about this community is we have people from all different countries that have made the greater Richmond area home. So we can literally reach the nations by just sharing the gospel in our communities, by word, but more importantly, by our deeds. So with that, let's open with a word of prayer. If you have your Bibles with you, we're gonna be in Colossians today. I'm gonna give an overview over the book of Colossians up to chapter three, but the main portion of my sermon is gonna be inside of chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And then after that, there's going to be a challenge again for us to apply what we've learned today and implement that into our everyday life. So with that, let us pray to a holy God. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, we are grateful for you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are good. Lord, I am in all of you, and the more I study your word, the more I recognize my depravity. Lord, may we be honest with ourselves. May we acknowledge where we fall short of a holy God. And Lord, may we constantly repent of our sins and turn and approach the throne of grace. Lord, I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for uh, this community. And I'm thankful for the fact that this church is a light, a beacon of hope, for the community of Powhatan. Lord, I pray for each person in the pew today that as they receive the challenge to not just hear the word, but to allow it to penetrate their lives, that this word will enhance their understanding, that it will improve their knowledge, and it will give them wisdom to live it out on a daily basis. Lord, I'm thankful for you. And Lord, I pray uh, this, the prayer that is found in Psalms 19 and in verse 14, uh, that Lord, that you, will let your, uh, that you will let your meditation, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The book of Colossians is a beautiful, beautiful story. And one of the things that makes it such a beautiful story is the simple fact that it's very relative to the time that we live in today. The book of Colossians written by Paul during one of his many imprisonments. Once again, Paul found his predicament as a result of his vocal instrument announcing Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul sets aside precious time to address his letter to a people group whom he yet to meet. Although the epitome of the modern day church planter, Paul was not directly responsible for the birth of the church in Colossae. The one responsibility for the establishment of the church was Paul's protege, Epaphras, one who was one of the indigenous members of that territory. As we read the introduction of the book of Colossians, we learn that Epaphras visited Paul in prison to inform him of the spiritual progression and status of the Colossians, but also to raise awareness to some of the cultural pressures challenging them to turn away from Jesus as Lord of their lives. Paul's purpose for writing this letter is to encourage the Colossians to address the temptations stated by Epaphras and challenge them to put on the new self granted them through salvation in Christ Jesus. The outline of this book opens to emphasize Christ Jesus as the exalted Messiah. Following the book's greeting, thanksgiving, praise to Christ, and reconciliation of the Colossians to God, Paul expresses how his previous and current suffering is for the sake of the exalted Jesus. In chapter two, Paul addresses the cultural pressures which are tempting the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. Finally, Paul gives a call to action in orthopraxy, which is simply emphasizing the, the correct moral behavior due to the new life in Jesus succeeding his resurrection. In chapter one, in spite of Paul never visiting Colossae, he identifies a pastoral responsibility to the church. He immediately thinks God for the faith the Colossians have exhibited and recognizes the love they express for God and one another in response to the hope they experience in God. This being a byproduct or a result of the new creation Jesus has in store. As I mentioned earlier, when I came in, I witnessed personally your love for our family, I witnessed personally your love for one another. And your love for each person, I believe, comes from the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It comes from the eternity that we know cannot be snatched away for us because we are his. It's a beautiful display of God's love and his care when he is extending his love through his people. You are in the epitome of what that looks like. So thank you for welcoming us in and making us feel at right home. In verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul and Timothy express their continuous prayer that the people of Colossae will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verses 15 through 20, the praise of Christ, also referred to as the Messiah poem, links Christ as Lord of creation as well as the Lord of redemption, cross-referencing the Old Testament, highlighting Genesis 1, Exodus 40, Proverbs 8, and Psalms 2, 8, and 68. One of the things that I love about the scripture is that the New Testament is built upon the work of the Old Testament. In many settings, we hear people say, oh, the Old Testament is so boring. There's no Jesus in the Old Testament. However, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. Our view of who Jesus is was established by the prophets telling us of the expected Messiah that is coming. So the fact that our scripture is constantly defending itself, the Old Testament is drawing its truth and its substance off the fact that the Old Testament has spoken that into existence. And we see here in Colossians that they are pulling, Paul is pulling from the Old Testament to enhance the life of the Colossians in the New Testament. Jesus is unveiled as the Imago Dei, the true image of God. God, a spiritual being, has his character and purpose enclosed in humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn, expressing his royal status over all creation. Erroneously, Many people struggle with Jesus being supreme as they hold to the view that his origin began when the Virgin Mary had conceived. Conversely, we must hold to the Trinitarian view, a view that represents the Holy Trinity, three in one, that Jesus was the agent through whom God made the heavens and the earth. Evidence of this truth is discovered in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 3 and 14, simply stated, extracted meaning from that scripture. Here we see the word existing before time. Before anything existed, there was the word. And as we dive down further in that text, we see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Therefore, we can draw that in the beginning, there was Jesus Christ. Therefore, he did not exist After birth from the Virgin Mary, he was already in existence. So that erroneous view has been challenged and it has been proved that Jesus was there before the beginning of time. Therefore, we can acknowledge Jesus, the Messiah, as the author and king of creation. In verse 18, we see Jesus, the Messiah, as the one who was responsible for bringing about a new creation. As I look over the room today, I see new creation in Christ Jesus. It would be erroneous for me to expect that everyone is a new creation of Jesus. Therefore, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to give people the opportunity to hear that they can become a new creation in Jesus. And that is the hope that we have in the good news. At the end of chapter one. At the conclusion and the beginning of chapter two, the introduction, Paul practices using the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to explain his suffering, so that he may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord while in prison. Now, think of this Paul is suffering. Not that any of us has ever experienced suffering. Paul is suffering. We all suffer, we've all been through something, but the challenge is in our suffering is how do we respond to that suffering? I love Paul's example here. Paul's punishment is a direct consequence of his constant profession to the Greek and Roman culture, the personhood of God as Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Now in that day, Many people did not want to believe that Jesus Christ was God. That was seen as heretical. And with that, Paul constantly continued to emphasize Jesus Christ as Lord, understanding that the consequences of him professing Jesus Christ was going to be suffering. How many of us are willing in the workplace, in the community, And amongst our family members and friends to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. If you recognize in doing so, you're going to become the black sheep or you're going to be ostracized. Are we willing to accept the consequences in a postmodern world when Jesus is constantly being pushed out of every door to say that he is Lord, understanding that I'm going to lose friends? That I'm gonna lose community members that I've walked alongside a long time in my life. That there are gonna be family, people in my family that judge me a certain way because I'm acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul's view here is one that is beautiful because Paul is faithful to continuously sharing that his suffering is for the sake of the gospel. Paul's faithfulness, in spite of opposition, stems from the stewardship that was given to him by God for the body. Of Christ. Essentially, what Paul is saying is I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to suffer for your salvation. I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel going forward and reaching you. Therefore, I count my suffering as joy. Now, I believe some of us today have experienced a difficult week. It's been a, it's been a hard week for some of us in the room to, today. And with that I believe that that suffering has challenged you and sometimes it brings out the truth in us. What do I mean by that? I have a lot of people that tell me that I'm very patient until they're put in a position where they need to exhibit patience and then you recognize that my pride in saying that I'm patient revealed that I'm not so patient. So with us when we go through the difficult tests, when we go through the difficult trials it begins to reveal our true character and our true need for Christ. Because in our own abilities, we're not able to satisfy God. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit. And he deposited that in us because he knows how to worship himself. And he wants us to yield to the Holy Spirit so that we can be his agents in this world. And that's the beauty that Paul is saying, I'm willing to suffer so that the people of Colossus, the people of Powhatan, Virginia, the people of the world can recognize that they've been set apart for a specific purpose. And that's to glorify God and to find joy in doing that. This mystery that they speak about in the first chapter is not unexplainable. How many of us are familiar with the, the musician David Blaine? few people in the room. David Blaine is a musician that does all types of crazy things. One of the things that he does, or several other things that he does, is he swallows things that really shouldn't go down the esophagus, <laughs> such as needles, broken glass, which he actually bites the glass and swallows, and believe it or not, frogs, L- live frogs, not dead frogs, And no one can understand this mystery. How does he do it? How does does it happen? It's it's magic to them. But the mystery that we're talking about here in the scripture is not one that we can't figure out. It's one that basically is pointing to the, the arrival of the Messiah and the plan that God has for us after the arrival of the Messiah. Therefore, Paul's maturity in faith allows him to view his suffering as his participation in Jesus' suffering, as opposed to a sign of defeat. Paul is able to recognize his pain and suffering as a cause for joy. Paul views his suffering from a heavenly perspective, that God, through Jesus, is creating a new multi-ethnic church that encompasses both Jew and Gentile. And I want to pause there. Because one of the challenges that we face in our world today is that the greatest form of segregation happens at the very time I stand at this altar. The greatest segregation in our country happens when believers gather to worship a God who has set aside the gospel for Jew and Gentile, for all people. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your social class. He has set aside the gospel for all humanity And that's a beautiful picture therefore we are one in Christ it doesn't matter our backstory it doesn't matter the sin that we have committed in the past God has created a space for believers to come before the throne to receive grace and to be united as the body of believers for his glory with that we dive into chapter 2 as chapter 2 continues his suffering and stewardship for the mystery of Christ, the laboring of the Colossians, Paul addresses the concerns of dangerous teaching. Raised by Epaphras, these cultural pressures consisted of two distinct categories. The first was mystical polytheism and the observance of the law and the Torah being the second. Prior to transformation from the power of control of darkness It was second nature to participate in the worship of Greek and Roman gods who operated in different arenas of human tradition. The effects of mystical polytheism and idol worship are referred to in Matthew 15, when Jesus has to correct our our beloved group, the Pharisees. They're so smart. They've studied the scripture from cover to cover, from pillar to pillar, to post to post. They know everything that is stated in the scripture and it's second nature. They can tell you exactly where to find it in in the snap of a finger. But with that, they are struggling with the fact that Jesus is allowing his disciples to eat a certain type of food. And they're saying you're going to defile your body by eating this certain type of food. However, Jesus said, do not worry about the food that you ingest through the mouth because that shall pass. Worry about the words That come from the mouth because that will defile your body because the words that come from your mouth those are from the heart and the heart lets us know where we are so with that out of the mouth proceeds the issues of our heart out of the heart comes evil thoughts murder sexual immorality adultery theft uh, witness false witness and slander the issue existed, these issues existed uh, from Christians before they were converted. However, in this setting, we're also seeing that some of these issues are continuing to fester even in the body of believers. And Paul wants to address that. Now, one of the things that was going on in that setting is prior to a papyrus bringing the good news of Jesus and establishing church, the church in the community of Colossae, What had happened was they were raised in the culture that had a lot of false witnesses, a lot of false idols, whether it was money, whether it was uh, sex or idols. There were a lot of false gods that they were worshiping. Now, what happened was once the conversion took place, these idols still stayed around. We just sprinkled a little Jesus with it. So there was confusion that maybe Jesus was not enough. Maybe I needed Jesus, but I wasn't trying to change the lifestyle that I was living prior to that. We've all been there. We've come to faith in Jesus, and we've recognized that some sins continue to fester. Some sins that immediately during our trans, uh, transformation, we were not proud of and we've f- tried to fight against. But the longer we became a, a, or established ourselves as believers, we begin to just recognize, yeah, you know, that's just who I am i go to church on Sunday, but these other sins that I have, you know, that's I, it's just what it is. So with that, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus Savior? But more importantly, is he Lord? It's easy to acknowledge Jesus to be Savior of our lives because we recognize him to be the one who came, who died, who was resurrected, and now who's seated at the right hand of the Father on my behalf. Therefore, my salvation is in Christ. However, the concept that Jesus is Lord means that he is constantly delegating how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis, and that's when it becomes a lot more difficult because I have to surrender my own desires for the sake of the gospel, and that's why he gives us his Holy Spirit to reshape how we see our service to the Lord. It shouldn't be that, oh, just because you become a Christian, you no longer have fun. I believe that lie. Oh, I don't want to do the Jesus thing because I can't hang out with my boys on the weekends. I don't want to do the Jesus thing because it's boring. It's kind of dry. They don't laugh. They don't joke. They just sit still like a lump on the log. <laughs> Is Jesus that? No. Jesus was the ultimate fierce warrior that sacrificed his life. He had passion and excitement and joy because he was the extension of God. Now, let me let me really drive this home for you. Growing up in Danville, Virginia, there was a a beacon of hope that sat right on Piney Forest Drive. I I know I'm sharing a little little bit more descriptive details because I know there are a few people here that are from Danville, Virginia. I hear you. I see you waving your hands. I love it. There was this there was this restaurant that sat right on right in the heart of Piney Forest. I'm sorry, Piedmont Drive. And there you could go in and you could help yourself to any type of food. The name of this restaurant was Ryan's and Ryan's may have been here in Richmond as well. I'm not sure, but I can only attest for what happened in Danville, Virginia, because a lot of pounds were added at Ryan's. But one of the things that I was excited about as a boy was growing into a teen where I could go to the buffet line and make my own plate. And in doing so. It's a, it's a buffet, there are unlimited plates, and there's unlimited time that you can eat as much as you want. But for some strange reason, unbeknownst to me, I could help but pile my plate with food. So I would get my meatloaf with the special sauce, I would have my mashed potatoes, I would have my corn, then I wanted a little seafood that I would sprinkle with, it. and then on my way back to my seat, I would remember that I forgot my roll. So I would immediately stop and turn and go back and grab the roll and I would try to balance it perfectly on the corn that's right beside the mashed potatoes and the roll would kind of dangle off. And as I would proceed back to my seat, week after week after week, this was a Sunday affair for our family, I would constantly drop my roll. And I would have to go pick it up and I would constantly drop my roll and I would constantly have to go pick it up. What I'm sharing this story for you is to show you that in our lives, when we don't clear our plate, there's no room for Jesus. And on Sundays, he's like that dinner roll. And it's like we just got to get him on top because I want it to go along with everything else that I have. But Jesus is saying, clear the plate. I am the dinner. I am the meal. Pastor Nick just mentioned that he was hungry. Well, I hope he was saying that he was hungry for the scripture. Because like the woman at the well, she came to the well and she was thirsty. But did you recognize when she left? She left her cup. Now, it's 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. It's smoking hot. And the last couple of weeks in Richmond have been unbearable. I'm sure your yards are showing you. But she left in the middle of the heat. Because she came into contact with the Messiah, who was her well, who was her water, who quenched her thirst. And that's how we should look at the scriptures. In regards to the law of the Torah, Jewish believers attempted uh, to lord over the Gentiles in order to assure the fulfillment of the commitments of a believer based on custom and cultural and culture established through the laws of the Old Testament. So essentially we looked at the fact that Jesus set aside the gospel for both Jew and Gentile. Well, now that the, the Jews who were God's people through the nation of Israel were seeing that other people that weren't like them were coming to faith, they wanted to give them a few hoops to jump through. They want to make sure that they were dotting every I and crossing every T and putting the right punctuation at the end of every sentence. They wanted to make sure that they knew that there were hoops that they had to jump to, through to receive the gospel of Jesus and this was so wrong and we do that in our culture there's a term that I began to educate a couple of people in my dear circle on called ethnocentrism ethnocentrism is basically that the way I was raised and what I believe to be true is the right way and the only way and anything outside of my way that's different It's just naturally wrong. Why wouldn't you do things the way that I see things? Why wouldn't you do things, well, my family said, this is how you speak. My family said, this is how you dress in church. My family, and we begin to allow our culture to shape the people around us. And what it does is it draws a divide between people. And it's not a healthy thing. And with that, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we're believing About our culture that prevents Jesus from being able to use us in spite of our culture he's created us for a specific purpose and with that he desires for us to be open to being used by him what I love about the scripture is that we are constantly challenged to self-reflect now I can't speak for all the men in here but before I walked out today I looked in the mirror to check to make sure that I was in line. And for the women out there, I know sometimes, or maybe all times, you carry that little compact in your pocketbook, and how many times you think you open it throughout the course of a day? Let's be real, women. A lot, you can't even count. And sometimes it's not even planned, it's like second nature, like, you know, you just grab your phone just to see who's texting you every three seconds. You're constantly checking yourself to see, where do I stand? Well, the scripture, is like that mirror we should constantly be in the Word of God to check where do we stand with him and that allows us to recognize when we step outside of the track of the gospel I love God's Word I love his conviction I love the fact that he is constantly challenging us to be more like him I love the fact that Paul has set aside his life for the sake of the gospel being made known. As we move into chapter 3, we're following Jesus. And I want us to look at chapter 3. And I'm going to read through this. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. We see this exhibited by Paul when he talks about his suffering. He's doing it for the sake of the kingdom. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you "...sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming." So Paul is warning them the consequences if they refuse to put aside these idols. The wrath of God, the creator of our being, is coming. "...in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away." Do you hear the constant repetition of Paul encouraging us to put away sin? And when we read our scriptures, we have to ask ourselves, well, why would he keep repeating it? The significance is that this is something that we need to do, not tomorrow, next week, maybe next year. This is something that we must do now. And he uses harsh terminology like put to death. If I came in the room and I said, I'm going to put someone to death, everyone would stop and check me at the door. Because <laughs> that's a severe commentary. He's saying, put to death this sin. In these t- you two once walked when you were living, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Now, this term being, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that happens immediately at our conversion. Some of us, we come to faith in Jesus and we walk from a life of sin and we put aside a lot of things that have been entrenched in our lives and our daily patterns. For some of us, we walk into faith with Jesus and it's a struggle. It's a challenge to put away some of those things. However, we are all called to constantly be growing in our walk with Christ, to take up our cross daily, to grow towards holiness. This is the idea that Paul is pushing towards the people is that we want you to be holy for God is holy. And it's easy in a lot of cases, and I found myself guilty of this, of looking at relationships I have with other men based off their relationship with Christ, based off their relationship with their wife, based off their relationship with their children, and based off their community affiliation, and saying, in comparison to this dude, I'm doing pretty good. But what I've done, I've lowered my standard so that I could be satisfied with the life that I'm living but I forgot that the picture of holiness reveals to me that I'm a filthy, dirty rag and that I should constantly be in repentance to a holy God. Following Jesus means joining his new humanity because of God's reconciliation in Christ Jesus. Paul's desire for the Colossians is that they will set their minds on things above, where the Messiah rules, reigns, and is seated at the right hand of God. Setting one's mind above means focusing on pursuing a deeper theological understanding of what the Bible has to say about the person of Jesus and what it means to live for him. One of the greatest gifts that God has given me, aside from his is my beautiful bride, Holly. It was because of her, my helpmate, that I realized that I was not theologically sound. She told me, we need to go to a church that is focused on community. And I said, honey, at the time I was working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I said, baby, I'm always in the community. And she said, no, you don't don't get it. It's not that you're in the community, it's you're a part of community. And that community is challenging you to recognize that not only should we have an emotional connection to Christ, but that he should be shaping who we are theologically. Our study of God is something that we can establish in the mind, which at times when I feel a certain way challenges me not to act on those feelings, but to trust what the word of God says. Therefore, we must have theological clarity. Uh, this takes me back to my life verse. Before I met my, br- my bride, one of the verses that God had placed on my heart was Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, I was struggling. I'll be real. I'd, I'd been engaged to this young lady for, for a season and we were 10 days from the, the wedding and she just bounced. She didn't say anything. She didn't tell me anything. She just dipped out. I was struggling. 27, 28 years old. I was just in a bad place, just broken. And God constantly put this on my heart. And the moment, the day that I spoke this message at a youth retreat, my wife was sitting on the front row to hear it. And it was so cool because then God began to insert her into my life and challenge me to say, we need to be in a place where we're learning how the scripture shapes us theologically. And once I began to learn what the scripture said theologically, it transformed the way I saw my life. And I had to sacrifice significantly. I walked from a stable job with FCA because God had revealed to me that he had called me to pastor a church. Now, I'll be real with you, her in-laws weren't really hearing this, that I'm going to walk away from this job, I'm going to enroll in seminary full-time, and our resources as far as how we provide for our family aren't going to really be, you know, concrete, knowing where it's going to come from. Now, the challenge that I have with that is so many times in our lives, we say that Jesus is all. He's in all and he is all. But when we begin to see people sacrifice for the gospel, those idols begin to to rear their head. And although we're believers, we worry about the financial provision. And what I can say to you is not only has God provided for us in this season of sacrificing for the gospel, but he's allowed us to continue to feed our family every Friday night on our front lawn when we do a, a cookout, to feed our community people that don't have the resources with the resources that he's entrusted to us. God will provide all of our needs if we seek him With our whole hearts. Let's finish this passage here. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, this is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And this is what I talked about earlier, that Christ is putting together a multi-ethnic church. One of the things that I learned about the Scythian people group is that they were on the northern side of the Black Sea. And to the Greeks, the Scythians were violent. They were uneducated, uncivilized, and altogether inferior people. Now, based off the way we've been raised, I've been guilty of this, there have been times in our lives where we look at a certain people group, based off their social class, based off the color of their skin, and we've heard our parents or someone in our close circle of influence speak lowly of someone. We've seen some people make mistakes, and we speak lowly of them. We've all been guilty of this at some shape, form, or fashion but the gospel renews the way we look at people because he is the image of God, the Imago Dei, and he has created every person that walks in the image. Look to your right, look to your left. That's God's image. So I dare not refuse a relationship with someone that the creator has created beautifully in their mother's womb before the foundation of the world. Who am I to dare oppress someone just because of the way they look or the way that they have been raised or the money in their bank account. We are not the judge, God is. And if we don't recognize that in our lives, we will be judged accordingly when we stand before the Holy King. He will ask us, why was this our behavior? That's the wrath that I don't wanna experience. So I'm constantly challenging myself and others to extend the love of Christ to any person, regardless of what they look like or the lifestyle that they're living because they're in need of a savior just as much as we are. In verse 12, it continues to, in verse 13, it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. In one body and be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I look at this, I'm I'm reminded of how he tells us to let it dwell richly, to to, to focus on the singing of psalms and hymns. And as we worship together this morning, you you begin to recognize the truth of God's word and the beauty of, of what it means to worship him. And he wants us to constantly be in worship of him because he knows that we need that refreshment. He knows that we need that encouragement. We need that reminder to be able to execute what he's called us to do. A challenge for you. Live in the present as the kind of new human you will become one day. Paul gives us a picture of this old humanity corrupted with sexual immorality, perversion, and destructive speech. With Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, these sinful virtues have died and given birth to a new humanity which is reflected in mercy, generosity, forgiveness, and love. The new humanity tears down walls between ethnic and social classes. In verse 11, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all and is all. Today's culture is challenging, specifically for our younger generation, because the cell phone has become very, very demanding of our time. And with that, When when Paul spoke to some of the some of the sins or the fruits of the flesh, he was speaking specifically with the issue of sex. And a lot of our young people today are being exposed to things at a very early age. And sometimes we're afraid to talk about it in the church because we cringe. But we allow our world to shape their perspective on something that God created as holy. So with that, the challenge for us today is to recognize that we have to step up to the plate and stand for the gospel and challenge ourselves to tell our children. Yes, everyone and their son has a cell phone, but that's not the decision that we're going to make for you at this age. Not only is this not the decision that we're going to make for you, but this is the decision that we're going to be protective of when it comes to how you interact with your peers. Because all it takes is one kid to have a device and five kids circling around to expose them to something that they're not willing to, ready to experience. That they shouldn't experience whether they were five years old, 10 years old, or 45 years old. How we live our lives and the decisions, the sacrifices that we make make today impacts the way our young people see life. My family and I, we've committed not to have cable. That's something that I thought I would never do growing up. Cable? You don't have cable? What's wrong with you? But we've done that because we recognize the constant demand of kids to be in front of these devices. And we know the enemy is the Lord over the airways. And he's constantly sneaking things in that we think is just an innocent information or or cartoon, and he's plugging things that are, are penetrating their hearts and messing with their emotions. With that, Christians are called to be heavenly people. That's what Paul meant when he told the Ephesians that God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We live on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. We should therefore seek those things which are above and store up our treasures in heaven. We see a graphic difference between an earthly minded person and a heavenly person minded person, when we look at two Middle Eastern tombs. The first is the burial of King Tut in Egypt. Inside there are precious metals and blue porcelain that that covers the walls. The mummy of the king is enclosed in a beautifully inscribed gold cover sarcophagus. Although King Tut apparently believed in an afterlife, he thought of it in terms of the world's possessions. Which he wanted to take with him when he died. The second tomb in Palestine is a simple, rock hewn cave believed to many to be the burial price place of Jesus. Inside, there's no gold, no earthly treasure, and no body. Jesus had no reason to store up with the world's treasures. His goal was to fulfill all righteousness by doing the will of his father. His was a spiritual kingdom of truth and love. The treasures we store up on earth will all stay behind when this life ends. But the treasures we store up in heaven will have eternity. When we seek to be Christ-like in thought, word, and deed, we will live like heavenly people. Wise are those who gear their goals to heavenly gains. As I close today, I believe that many of us have become uh, embraced or immersed in collecting treasures of this world. And I understand that this is something that has shaped you probably before you became a believer in Christ. But today's message that Paul has to the Church of Colossus is relevant to the, to the people of today and you sitting in the chair today where he's saying, what idols do you still have that are convoluting your relationship with Christ? What idols do you still have that are preventing you from balancing Jesus as that role on top of your dinner plate at an all-you-can-eat buffet? What idols are preventing you from living out the mission of Jesus and I'll be real with you, I've learned that for me, it was Facebook, constantly checking Facebook, what someone says, what someone thinks, how I post something and someone responds, and it distracts me from the purpose that I've been intended for. So you see Apple created this update a few months back where they track your time on your device. And every Sunday, it sends out your weekly progress on that phone. And I was blown away when I saw the hours that I was committing to that device. Hours that I wasn't connected with the father. Hours that I wasn't connected with my bride. Hours that I wasn't spending quality time with my daughter shaping her for the mission that God has called her to. Hours that I've missed out on sharing the gospel to the community that God has immersed me in hours that I've missed out on sharing the gospel with my neighbor, indeed, by caring for them, by carrying a heavy bag of mulch or mowing a lawn for an elderly person, hours that I've invested on fulfilling my own desires where I've missed the purpose of a holy God. In the room today, we have a lot of people that are struggling in certain ways that I've just expressed that I've struggled with. And today is a new day where God has called us to surrender to him. And the beauty of the gospel is that God, the creator, created man in his image to glorify him and to find joy in that. But deceitfully, that cunning snake came in and began to whisper something to us that sounded so good, it sounded so similar to the truth, but it was a lie from the pit of hell. And we deceptively were were tricked and duped and we gave into that and that created sin. And that sin separated us from a holy God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, who we learn today, the Messiah, the king, to die for our sins. After living a life that exemplifies what the personal life of a Christian should look like. And he surrendered his life on Calvary for you. For you. For you. For every person in this room. And he says, if you would only believe in me, you will rest secure in eternity. That this life that we live is not about the physical. It's about the spiritual, our eternal destination with Christ. And to be absent from Christ is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. So with that, I want to encourage you that if you're in this room today and you understand where you're at and you recognize your depravity, to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and recognize that I said Lord and Savior, not just to get me out of jail, I don't want to burn in hell card, but Lord, reshape the way I see life, reshape my desires. This is an opportunity for you to recognize that it is your choice, which is the last component of the gospel. We respond to the good news of Jesus by standing for Jesus and accepting him in our hearts. And as i mentioned earlier it would be erroneous for me to assume that every person that is sitting before me today is a believer in jesus christ there are some in this room who have yet dedicated their life to christ there are some in this room that believe that they are secure in christ and are not and then there are those in the room today that are following christ but recognize that there are some idols that are preventing us from live, for living for God supremely. And then the last group of people, you're committed to the gospel, you're pursuing the gospel, and you recognize that you're suffering. And you recognize that your suffering sometimes has challenged you to focus inwardly, and now you're seeing Paul is reshaping how we look at that, that we should be looking at our suffering as something heavenly and receiving that with joy. At this time, I would love to open up the altar for those who are saying, I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ. I choose Christ today. I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to commit to the life that he has for me. If that is you, come. For the second group of people if you're questioning am I saved I think I am I'm not really sure but I want to get it right today I want to surrender to the purpose God has for my life recognizing that's the greatest decision I can make if that is you come we would love to pray with you if you are A believer in Christ and you've been wrestling. Life has just been hard. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. It's it's been a a tough year. Maybe a, a couple of years. And you're saying, I'm recognizing there are some idols in my life that are preventing me from allowing Jesus to really penetrate my life for the sake of his glory. But today I recognize that my focus should be on something that's heavenly. And this is the time that I can get it right. I wanna repent of my sins and turn to God, to pursue Him, to chase Him, to walk away from the life that I've been living and the idols that I've been serving. If that is you, come. And lastly, for those of us that are faithful warriors for the King, and we recognize that we've, we've just suffered, been a long season. Sometimes allow that suffering to point us in. With it. you're saying, I just, I just want to be closer. I want to change my perspective, my vantage point. If that is you today. Come. As I look into the room today, I recognize that taking a stand for Jesus is difficult. And many times, I've, I've always questioned: Should we do an open altar call? I learned that that's something that you do here but my encouragement as to why I endorsed the open altar call is because it's much easier to take a stand and walk 30 feet for Christ in a church of God's people who are going to love you embrace you for you come around you grow in Christ it's much easier to take a stand here than to walk outside the doors and take a stand for Christ amongst all the idols so one last time I'm just going to create a space for all the groups that I've expressed. A chance for you to step up encourage, and know that you have the support of the body of believers to walk alongside of you, to come. Father, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. We're grateful for the fact that you are good. Lord, we pray that this word will penetrate our hearts, that we will grow in the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray for our weeks as we step out that we will recognize that you are for both Jew and Gentile, that your gospel is bringing all people together. May we see our co-workers, our family, our neighbors, our community as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ in word and name. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. May your scripture shape the